This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Europe, the end of Chacht Erechor. Agasuligum, a Makan Shah, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetoch, Ara, Igornamion, on Kestin Echol. Vientalam Aginom Griv, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Today on the Indo Daily, is Rishi Sunak's attempts to stop the boats sinking his own premiership? And why is Ireland now changing its immigration policy? A dawn departure on a French beach. This travel to southern England is treacherous, sometimes deadly. Illegal migration is possibly one of the greatest scourges of our age. Uh, and uh, it's, it's evil, it's internationally organised, and it's socially and economically damaging to this country. Now, of course, our Rwanda policy is just one part of our wider strategy to stop the boats. And that strategy is working. UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has faced arguably his toughest week yet at Downing Street as public and political pressure around the Rwanda bill intensifies. So he's got a reprieve uh, for Christmas but I expect this battle to pick up in earnest again in the new year. Sunak survived a tense showdown with members of his own party but many now think the writing is on the wall for the Conservative Party leader. I think we can see probably the first couple of weeks of January when they get back into Parliament that there will be pressure on Sunak to either step down or call an election immediately. Meanwhile, the Irish government has changed its asylum policy, heavily reducing the benefits available to Ukrainian refugees arriving into this country. The legislation relates to cutting the weekly welfare that these people would be entitled to from €220 a week in job seekers' allowance to a payment of €3880 a week. I'm Kevin Doyle, and today on the Indo Daily, I'm joined by TRT World presenter Enda Brady and by Hugh O'Connell, the Irish Independence Deputy Political Editor, to explore why immigration is causing such headaches for the Irish and UK governments. Enda Brady, before we get into the politics of all of this, and my God, is there a lot of politics, explain in really simple terms what exactly the Rwanda Bill is. So it's about declaring Rwanda a safe country to send asylum seekers to. Let me just go through the ways that individual illegal migrants try and stay. Claiming asylum, that's now blocked. Abuse of our modern slavery rules, blocked. The idea that Rwanda isn't safe, blocked. The risk of being sent to some other country, blocked. And spurious human rights claims, You'd better believe that we've blocked those two because we're completely disapplying all the relevant sections of the Human Rights Act. What they're trying to do is basically hammer out and remove 
pretty much all possibility of legal challenges to sending a human being seeking asylum in the UK to Rwanda. The whole plan was basically to make it so unpleasant, the experience of coming to the UK after getting across the channel on a boat, spending €6,000 on a place in a dinghy, traipsing across Africa to get to Europe, to get to England, and then to be put on a plane to Rwanda. What they're trying to do is basically remove all potential for legal challenge. And obviously, was this the brainchild of Suella Braverman originally? We did see Stop the Boats was a campaign slogan at one point for for some of the Conservatives. Is there votes in this and, and who's driving it? Well, first of all, this goes back to Priti Patel. If you remember her, this was like an initiative when she was Home Secretary. So it's been driven by the right-wing faction of a right-wing party. So it's, you know, the really kind of ultra-conservatives. Are there votes in this policy? I think right now, if I walk down the street in England or, or anywhere, Wales, Scotland, stop a person and say to them, do you care about sending asylum seekers to Rwanda? They will say, I care about getting through Christmas, putting food on the table, paying gas, paying electric, and I also care about my mortgage, which has gone off like a rocket since 45-odd days of Liz Truss in Downing Street. So in terms of priorities for the British public, I would say this is nowhere near the top. Now, some Tory backbenchers have been very vocal on this. It's Some people have compared it to kind of the Brexit days when the Tory party was tearing itself apart. But they're vocal because they don't think it's hard enough. The bill provides a partial and incomplete solution to the problem of legal challenges in the UK courts being used as stratagems to delay or defeat the removal of illegal migrants to Rwanda. Yeah, so you've got this fringe minority that is very vocal. They get on the airwaves, they speak to journalists. And I think the problem for Sunak is that they're growing in number. I mean, he has a majority of, what, 78-odd in Parliament, but the bill only passed by 44. So he's got dozens of disaffected right-wing Conservative MPs who are saying this legislation is nowhere near tough enough. What they want is Britain to remove itself from the European Court of Human Rights. Now, they keep saying, oh, you know, we voted to leave Europe for this reason. They're very ambiguous in what they're saying. Yeah, Britain left the European Union. It did not geographically leave the continent of Europe. So, unfortunately, what a lot of these conservative politicians are finding out is that asylum seekers are human beings and they have human rights. Now, this week... Rishi Sunak did have a win in Parliament. Reading the Telegraph report on it, he was hugging his chief whip. So obviously, it meant a huge amount to him that there wasn't a massive rebellion at the voting dispatch, I guess, at least. But it has left him on shaky territory. What stage is the bill at? How much more of this will we have to go through? I mean, it has a long way to go legally. Sunak has kicked the can down the road. It gets him to Christmas. It gets him some respite. And it keeps him in office for a few weeks longer. But what will happen now, Kev, is people will go away, Conservative MPs, they'll have their Christmas break, they will be all over the WhatsApp groups. Has he got my support? Suella's thinking about running. Will you put a letter in of no confidence? And I I think we can see probably the first couple of weeks of January when they get back into Parliament that there will be pressure on Sunak to either step down or call an election immediately. Where those cursed armors Labour Party stand on all of this? Because whatever we might think about the idea of asylum seekers getting put on a plane to Rwanda, there is an argument that a lot of 
those people are coming on those small boats, as you mentioned, from France. And France is a safe country. So in theory, they aren't necessarily due anything by the UK. It's interesting. Starmer went to Paris a few weeks ago and he was given an audience with Emmanuel Macron. Now, Keir Starmer is leader of the opposition. I've spoken to senior politicians in London and very senior diplomats. And they tell, told me this is highly unusual for a leader of any opposition to be welcomed into the Elysee Palace in Paris and to be made so welcome and to have time with the president of France. And it's clear that Starmer sees the way around this issue. You want to stop the boats. Uh, you know, speak to any smart person here. and There are a few left. Speak to them and they will tell you that the way to stop the boats is to basically dismantle the people trafficking gangs who are operating along those beaches in northern France. How do you do that? Hundreds of millions of euros have been given to Rwanda. The Rwandan government must be laughing all the way to the bank about this because they've not taken a single asylum seeker yet. And that money could have been so better spent by making friends with the French, sitting down with Macron and his government and saying, look, we're willing to put in X hundred of million euros into your policing budget to basically make that a really sterile strip of land. And you, you go to those beaches. I've been to these beaches in northern France. You can see guys hanging around petrol stations, service stations, mostly Africans, a lot from Afghanistan and Iran and Pakistan. And they're just waiting for calm seas. And they have burner mobile phones. They, As soon as they get in the dinghies, they burn all documentation. They, they throw it over the sides. So there's no way of proving who they are. They land in the UK. And then their backstory will be that they're from Iran. They're gay. They were persecuted for being homosexual in their home country. And I'm claiming asylum. And, you know, these numbers, even though the numbers have dropped slightly on last year, by the end of the year, they'll still be north of 32,000 people will have got here illegally that way. Go back, Enda, for a second there. How much money has the British government given to Rwanda for not taking any asylum seekers? Last count, it was £240 million sterling. And just to give you an idea of what the whole thing is costing the British taxpayer, Every single day this year, and you can check this out, eight million pounds sterling is being spent on hotel accommodation for asylum seekers across the UK. And that is what is driving this policy forward because there's pressure on the money and the Conservatives see this as a vote winner. And, you know, it is a complete mess. And they keep talking about bringing net migration down as well. I mean, it is roughly... um three and a half times bigger now net migration than when Labour were last in power 13 years ago. Obviously, there are lots of people who have left devastating situations, who are, are in real trouble, who perhaps were under threat of, of terrible punishment or even death. What happens to them right now when they arrive in Britain? Where do they go? What kind of services do they get? So they land and generally they have the clothes they stand up in or a very small rucksack and they're not encouraged to bring any luggage. The lucky ones are brought ashore by the RNLI. At that point, they are intercepted by border force who have huge numbers and huge manpower down in Dover. Then they're taken to a centre immediately. They're, they're given food, they're given hot drinks, they're medically assessed. And then they will be dispatched off to various different accommodations all across the UK. So there are seaside hotels in Devon, Cornwall, Somerset, Norfolk, Suffolk, places that, you know, with the best will in the world, December and January, these places are not going to have tourists coming. They're put in there. 
they're then told to apply and do the whole application process. And these people are coming in their thousands every single month. And that is where the £8 million a day figure comes from. That's their accommodation costs. Okay, before we finish up, Enda, take me inside those conservative WhatsApp groups over the Christmas while while the rest of us might be taking a little break from the world of politics. What will be going on? So a few names to watch out for. Suella Braverman, former Home Secretary, sacked twice as Home Secretary. So she's on manoeuvres, absolutely. But it's not fair that people who travel through a string of safe countries and then come to the UK illegally can jump the queue and game our system. This bill will bring an end to that. Enough is enough. We must stop the boats. So she abstained from the vote the other night. She did an extraordinary speech in Parliament last week. Just watch her language. You know, she's a lawyer. Um, She's appealing to the right, right, right wing of the Conservative Party the core kind of votes. And she knows that if there's a leadership runoff next year, that faction of the party love her. She's right-wing, anti-immigration, Britain first, and she doesn't care who she offends. A lot of her critics would say she's not that bright, she has terrible politics, but she knows what she's doing. So Suella Braverman will run for the leadership at some stage. Boris Johnson may unbelievably come back into the mix. Watch this space. I live near him in Oxfordshire and I got told recently at the moment he's just like a submarine with a periscope. He's way, way down in the depths, but every now and then the little periscope comes up, has a look around and he just goes back down and he's waiting his time. Uh, I want to thank everybody here and hasta la vista, baby. Thank you. Nigel Farage, believe it or not, has ambitions to run as leader of the Conservative Party. I mean, that would just be nuclear. That would be the nuclear option for them. Then, on the smarter kind of wing of the party, you have a woman called Kemi Badenoch. She's in cabinet at the moment. She's a very prominent black female conservative who has a lot of support, uh, I would say, in the more kind of intellectual wing of the party and the, the smarter wing of the party. So, these are the names to watch out for. Braverman will go first. But Sunak needs a a, a golden rabbit to land in his lap that he can pull out the hat in January and say to the British public, your mortgages are going to come down, your food bills are going to come down, energy, gas, I'm going to fix everything. And meanwhile, Labour are surging ahead a good 20.2% clear in the polls. So next year is Starmer's year for the taking. Sunak needs Father Christmas to bring him millions of votes this Christmas that he's highly unlikely to get. Sunak will lead them into the election and I think he will lose. I just, I just, I don't even know what he stands for. And I think the British public don't know what he stands for. Choosing a political hill for your career to die on, Kev, and picking the Rwanda issue as that hill is just mind-bogglingly stupid. Hugh O'Connell, as we've been hearing from Enda Brady, UK politics has been tearing itself apart to some extent about immigration policy Not quite the same here, but there has been a massive shift in government policy that if we went back even six or 12 months ago would have been kind of unimaginable. Yeah, this week the cabinet signed off on what is probably the most substantial change in the state's policy towards uh, refugees arriving here from Ukraine since Russia invaded Ukraine in February 2022. Accommodation for those who come here from Ukraine or Ukrainians who flee the war would 
be given 90 days accommodation and after that they would have to seek their own housing. The legislation relates to cutting the weekly welfare that these people would be entitled to from €220 a week in job seekers allowance to a payment of €38.80 a week, so less than €40 a week per adult and €29.80 per child. This aligns with the payments that are given to asylum seekers uh, from outside of the European Union, for example, and outside of of Europe uh, in the direct provision system. So it's a very significant change uh, and it's motivated, I think, by the fact that there is a huge pressure on the state provision of supports for Ukrainian refugees, particularly around the accommodation piece where in recent weeks we've had dozens of people uh, being unable to be accommodated and basically given sleeping bags and tents um, at reception centres and uh, an enhanced allowance of, I think, €113.80 a week was increased recently by €75 and told that they'll have to make their own way, basically, um, that the state won't be able to accommodate them in the way in which we've been putting up tens of thousands of Ukrainian refugees in hotels, B&Bs, guest houses and other facilities across the country for the last nearly two years. Is it a case, and I think it's interesting that we very recently crossed the 100,000 mark in terms of the number of people who have come here from Ukraine. Is it a case that the 100,000 welcomes has now been worn out? Is that what's behind this? Yeah, I mean, it's very clear in the documentation that was prepared for ministers making this decision, uh, particularly the the cabinet subcommittee, which which met on this on Monday, that um, there was a concern around the uh, provision of accommodation and that running out in the new year, particularly when it's expected, based on what happened this time last year, that after Christmas there will be an increase in the number of Ukrainian refugees uh, arriving into the country on a daily basis to about maybe 100 a day. So you're talking about 700 a week. Um, in that instance, then, the state wouldn't be able to provide them with any accommodation. Uh, you'd have an increase in on-street homelessness. Uh, and the concern, and it was stated very bluntly in this in this confidential briefing for ministers, was that this, was that this would also undermine Ireland's response to date and likely undermine the support of the public for the humanitarian response. So basically, there's a fear and a concern around the breakdown in this 100,000 welcomes that you, you talked about there um, as we get into 2024. And already, I suppose, we're getting a sense of that over the last few months that people's, um, you know, people at the beginning of the war were very, very uh, willing to open their doors and open the, the country's doors to to allowing tens of thousands of Ukrainians in because they were fleeing a terrible war that they were seeing on the news every night. Let's be honest, the Ukraine war is not on the news bulletins every night. It's certainly not top of the news bulletins every night. It's, it's very much fallen behind in terms of, uh, you know, global conflicts underway at the moment, particularly what, what's happening in Gaza, for example. Um, and that, I think, coupled with an increase in pressure on local communities and local communities in parts of the country feeling that there's no consultation with them when people are brought into these areas because there's a, a hall or a facility that, that needs to be op- operationalized very quickly uh, to provide accommodation for these people. This kind of breakdown um, in, in support is, is happening, has been happening a little bit over the last six months. And when I've been speaking to TDs about this, they, they definitely identify a, a shift in public mood. We heard in the UK that while politicians might be having Mm. their own battles over it, that it it may not be that big of an issue for the average man. But you reckon that here immigration has become a topic of interest? Absolutely. I I don't think it's the topic of interest. I don't think it's the single most important issue. I still think 
issues like housing, for example, um, you know, supersede that. There's a feeling that, you know, Ukrainians coming into the country almost have a better opportunity than people living in the country for many, many years. Um, that might not necessarily be true, but it, it is a feeling, it is a sentiment that's perception. growing, and it's a perception that's growing. I picked this up from TDs that uh, people feel as if local services are coming under massive pressure, like the local GP, local schools, because of the, the, the influx of, of large numbers of people. Can I ask you then, Hugh, because that perception is important. Ireland is the furthest point in Europe that you can come to from Ukraine. So was what was being put, made available here, was it actually that much more attractive that people were willing to travel the whole way across Europe to the furthest possible point from home to, to establish a new life here? Here are some facts that we know. Uh, Per capita, we've taken, I think, the most, or at least we're, we're one of the top few, uh, to have taken the most Ukrainian refugees of any EU member state. There's also some uh, indicative data that the Department of Justice issued in October, which said that uh, around a third of people now arriving into the country who are uh, claiming temporary protection, Ukrainians, uh, had already applied for temporary protection in another EU country in, uh, pr- in the prior months. So that would indicate that people... Uh, from Ukraine are are looking at Ireland as as somewhere where I can get uh, unlimited accommodation um, and I can uh, immediately sign up to a scheme, uh, a welfare scheme, a social welfare system that entitles me to €220 a week in job seekers allowance. And that is certainly out of whack with every other EU member state where I think the highest payment in another country is maybe €100 or just over €100. So certainly... um, the conditions in Ireland are definitely, uh, among EU member states, they are the most generous um, for now, for now uh, as it stands, until this change takes effect in the new year. So I think that, again, and, and this has been articulated by ministers publicly over the last few weeks, has has fed into the decision to change the regime that, now, that will apply from early next year. I would have imagined that this would have become a massive political row. Now, I know you have people like Paul Murphy using language like people are going to be thrown out in the streets after 90 days. Um, But Sinn Féin, who obviously uh, make political hay with most big decisions the government make, they they seem to be kind of backing this. I saw a lot of independents backing this. So the government has no fear that this is going to turn into a, a massive political problem for them, do they, making these changes? Yeah, certainly when I started looking at this back in October and writing about it and when we when there was a, a bit of a row at Cabinet about a proposal to, to time limit accommodation to 90 days and pushback from Fianna Fáil in particular because of concerns that it would foist the problem onto Housing Minister Dara O'Brien and result in an increase in homelessness. I did think this was going to become very politically contentious, particularly when you consider that there would have to be changes to, to social welfare legislation that would be brought in by probably Heather Humphreys, the Social Protection Minister. And the idea of slashing payments to people fleeing war, you would think would be contentious. But, you know, the context now is a little different, I think. Um, Yes, there are concerns expressed by opposition about where do these people go after 90 days, uh, but they're not vociferous in my, you know, judge against other kind of political rows. And the Equality Minister, Roderick O'Gorman, whose whose proposals these were, has said very clearly that he doesn't expect people will want to stay beyond the 90 days. He thinks they will find alternative arrangements. So there is broad political support for this, uh, and there isn't the type of controversy that it might have engendered maybe a year ago. Um, I think there's a feeling now that this is the right time to do this, to normalize the state's response. You know, this is no longer a a short-term thing. We're two years into the war nearly, uh, and I think there's a feeling that we're going to be seeing this kind of movement of people across the continent um, for for the foreseeable future, and therefore we have to adapt our, our offering accordingly. 
My thanks to Hugh O'Connell and earlier to Enda Brady. I'm Kevin Doyle and today's episode of the Indo Daily was produced by Garrett Mulhall, researched by Dave Hanratty with sound by John Smith. Archive clips were from BBC News, The Guardian, the UK Independent, Sky News and the Irish Independent. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in mon Europe the end of Chacht Erachor. Agasuligum a Machan show, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetoch, Ara, Egornamion, and Heschen Echol. We in Talam again om Griv or Korn Rachtum. Yet a Shetorin Griven or Korston, Elis Duhalagus Giminefracht, Gor Kligs or Dukishen Echor. Only Vin Own, Thordorakshin, Vin Marav. Shachten. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms.